0: What's up, fam? I'm Eric settlement Join me today, and as always, my co-host and longtime best friend, Abe Granoff, and a special guest. It is Mr. Matt Kalish from DraftKings. Matt, normally I ask Abe what's on his mind, but we'll throw it over to you. What is on your mind today?
1: Um, you know, before getting distracted by the Celtics news with, like, you know, Durant, Jalen, and all of that potential nonsense, I would say Rainmakers football and getting geared up in general for the NFL season was like my number one kind of preoccupation lately. Um, By the way, congrats on the underdog fantasy news. I just saw that like on my way in. Big big fundraise, lots of momentum, so it's pretty amazing. What's like CEO of winning at underdog entail? Exactly. <laughs> A lot of it losing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, you gotta you got you gotta lose to learn and to get better, but it really is just, you know, having fun, putting out some picks. And I think what something we'll talk about is this community aspect of sports betting. You guys are the biggest player but a lot of other companies are biting at your heels and you've you've nailed this social tab in the app. So I'm excited to dive into all of that, but let's give some people some context. Uh, founded DraftKings. DraftKings the biggest player in the world as it comes to the sports betting market here in the US. What was it like just starting DK, being in from the start, and have you always wanted to kind of play in this
1: world? Yeah, definitely. I really got into I guess skill gaming, starting with poker in college. And, you know, I was playing season long fantasy baseball while I was doing distance running at Columbia. So I was a uh, like cross country and during track I was doing, you know, 5K and longer races. So fantasy baseball I got into with my running friends cause we would be on these 10 mile runs. So you could go through all this stuff like stats of every single person and whatever. And so I remember This was when it was like Randy Johnson and uh, Curt Schilling were the elite, you know, both on the Diamondbacks and and Mm -hmm. that kind of era of things. So I got really into fantasy baseball, but that was always free. And then my exposure to kind of skill gaming for cash, where there was something more on the line, really came with poker starting in like very early 2000s. Um, I think I jumped in around uh, the time Rounders came out uh, 2000, 2001 uh coincided with when I was a freshman in college so I was like sitting in my dorm room learning the game by the time the MoneyMaker uh world series of poker boom came I like kind of knew how to play poker or at least better than most people who are jumping in so um that gave me the taste of like competing success winning you know like it felt good to like be competitive and be strong at a skill game and then uh that's always been a part of my sort of recreational life but didn't really become my career until i was about 30 and left corporate america for DraftKings. um you know jason paul and i my two partners are jason robbins and paul lieberman you know we all wanted to start something and uh working in corporate america for eight years or so that helped us with you know building a good foundation in marketing and analytics operations so i felt like we had a good uh, like foundation to start something we weren't literally just like straight out of college with no i, I guess like uh, uh corporate experience or anything so i thought that helped us maybe get off to a little bit of a cleaner faster start but um you know being able to work on products i'm passionate about and and like build new things that didn't exist before in the u.s especially you know it's been really how we spent the last 10 years and it's been really engaging really fun for me
2: I want to go back to, to 2018 when PASPA was repealed. Um, what was it like leading the charge on that bull rush of trying to be first in the industry to try and establish dominance in the sports betting industry in the United States? Because we've seen sports betting in a mature market overseas for quite some time. But with PASPA being repealed, everyone was trying to be first in line as it got repealed in the United States. What was that like for you trying to navigate? Okay, this is a space we need to get into the United States, but we also need to continue to prioritize all these other products and verticals we have, such as DFS.
1: Yeah, at that time, we were actually only operating DFS, and the idea of deviating from fantasy at all was a little bit of a hot topic in the company. And certainly there was lots of questions about who would be successful if U.S. sports betting opened up. You know, would it be like European operators coming in? Would it be big casino companies, fantasy operators like FanDuel, DraftKings, et cetera? And uh, there was also ideas of like media companies such as Fox, ESPN, whatever. So there's like four or five different like, types of company that people were speculating who would do well in sports betting and you know our our vision going in was like we're not a um, decades old european sports betting operator so clearly like we have things to learn first thing we did is went off, off to uk and this was back in late 2017 we just did a tour of a bunch of operators like looked at a bunch of platforms Built a relationship with this one in particular called Camby. That, you know, in the first few years of DraftKings Sportsbook, they were really supplying a lot of the odds, a lot of the content. And so we kind of learned really fast through a couple trips and started building out the platform. And, you know, early on, we were really focused on just wanting to own the front end experience and like the customer experience, not necessarily all of the operations behind the scenes. So, you know, we tried to integrate. The DraftKings experience, same account, same wallet, like make it really seamless and easy to add a second product. Most of our effort was that, you know, building the sportsbook under the same uh, kind of KYC account, everything. And for a year or two, you know, we were really, really focused on that. And then uh, around the time we went public, uh, which was about two years ago. Now we concurrently merged with this other company called SB Tech, and that really allowed us to own our full technology in sportsbook. So I would say we've been at it for you know four years. It's been a process of really getting from literally no foundation at all to building out, you know, what I think is a pretty good. For four years, it's like a pretty damn good start for like a sports betting platform where you fully own all of the tech, trading, risk management, etc. And that being said, like we totally get we're competing against, you know, FanDuel is owned by Flutter, which is the biggest gambling company in the world by far. It's basically like a giant conglomerate of a million brands. You know, MGM did a deal with Entain, who's the second biggest gambling company in the world. Both of them are like decades old, have 10 brands, operate in like dozens of countries. So totally get that, um, you know, maybe four years in, every single aspect's not perfectly there uh, to where decades old companies are. But I think what we've always been able to do is lean on just really special understanding of a U.S. consumer in the sports betting and gambling space and being very specialized there has helped us with, you know, staying differentiated, building a meaningful, like, brand that people, you know, think is for them, that they really connect with. Um, and, uh, you know, so I think it's like the understanding of the U.S. consumer has really helped us always stay out in front and and stay in the mix as we invest in our platforms and build them out.
0: I think you guys have done a tremendous job being advanced as well. And I think it's your vision a lot of the time that is seeing ahead. And when we all got into maybe not crypto recently, but NFTs for sure. What would you say, you know, brought you into NFTs? Was it your passion? Was it a money making opportunity, smart people around you? And then why did you think it was so important that you wanted to bring it to to DraftKings?
1: I would say it was this idea of there was a little bit of a forcing mechanism during the very, very beginning part of COVID when the sport lockdown happened, which was like March, April, May, I believe, of 2020. And so the first thing we saw is just behavior seemed to go towards whatever live sports were available. So t- like table tennis or something in the sports book was getting a lot of attention at like the Russian table tennis leagues or something. And so it was like this appetite for live sports was the initial wave. And then much more started to see these alternate forms of investment or speculation pop up. So whether it was day trading stocks or collecting baseball cards, um those sort of things, Um, all of that, like, coincided with summer, fall of 2020, just, I noticed a huge, um, like, amount of attention going there from our audience, um, like, from the DraftKings customer, and, you know, personally, like, picked it up and instantly understand, like, it tickles the same part of your, your brain, you know, it's like, you want to predict things, you want to be right, you want to see, you know, things pay off when you are right, in terms of things that you're, investing in or speculating on and then there's also that aspect of it's like just fun to do and it says something about you and your identity Mm -hmm. and so anyway i was seeing all this stuff like you know stock trading sports cards and then come around like early start of 2021 nba top shots started popping up more and more and so top shots was initially this thing like most people didn't get it it's digital like how could that be worth anything and whatever but then you know seeing the momentum build the excitement around pack breaks the um you know hundred thousand dollar plus sales on sort of early collection top stuff i remember like the the zion williamson block or whatever for 100k was one of the first ones that i noticed and yeah, it was just like a moment in time that, you know, between NFT and crypto, it was just clear that there was something like special going on. And it was all these same early adopters that always seem to pick up everything first, right before everyone follows, they were the ones in it, right. And so um, yeah, I started paying attention in March, I bought like CryptoPunks. I started buying some uh, other projects, probably like four months later, but for a few months, I was just like learning the very, very basic stuff about uh, like blockchain, crypto, um, and NFTs. And then, you know, started getting really, really more, um, like diverse and heavily invested, I would say over the summer, I started doing a podcast with Gary Vaynerchuk, um, about, we called it props and drops, but it was, you know, mainly NFTs, um, projects, drops, crypto stuff, and then a little bit of sports betting. And uh spent I would say like a year or so really just going super, super deep. And, you know, in parallel at DraftKings, you know, one of the nice things about DraftKings is it's founder led, you know, we control the roadmap. We're able to really, I think, um, in a pretty agile way, go after opportunities that we know are good fits for our audience. So you know, pretty quickly, we started building out like a, a NFT marketplace that would allow us to then build projects on top of, you know, uh, like an owned and operated uh, experience. So um, I guess like that brings us to um, maybe like six months ago, six to eight months ago when we entered into it our first, I think, like big IP deal with the NFLPA. So that was at the end of last year. Uh, And basically what we said was, NFTs are cool, like people love NFTs, but really what people go to DraftKings for is the games. Like we build competition games, you can win big prizing. That's like the number one thing that we do best. So we started putting much more of our focus on how do you build a platform that like is endemic to DraftKings experience wise, you know? That gives you utility across the platform, or like games that are driven specifically off NFT ownership, that kind of stuff. And so we entered into like an agreement with the NFLPA to build um, like NFT-driven fantasy football for the upcoming football season. We did a similar deal with the UFC uh, to enter into a like fantasy sports NFT gaming uh, relationship there, and so that was our initial foray into creating what's now called Rainmakers, which is, you know, I think it'll be a tremendous franchise. It, it's a lot like EA Sports Ultimate Team, but has some other aspects of, um, you know, uh, I compared to things like Magic the Gathering in the sense that it's a game, but you own the card forever too, right? So it's not just EA Sports where you lose your whole team at the end of the year, you know, so um, just working on that trying to build you know the product out build the messaging in a way that like consumers would understand it whether you're hardcore crypto or not you know all of that has been really like the biggest part of the journey lately
2: yeah i think it's interesting where you you talk about the nft craze when the sports lockdown uh happened because it kind of felt like during that time like if you weren't early you were late right and it's like people were had that buyer's hesitancy where they didn't want to get involved because they felt like okay I'm buying at the peak there's no point in this and I think you see a lot of crossover between uh nfts and this and um the sports book industry whereas Passport was repealed in 2018 and now you kind of see this where four big players like yourself Fandle the MGMs and Caesars are kind of controlling 85 to 90 percent of the market and now it's just how what do we need to do to differentiate ourselves from the top so i'm curious if you see whether it's five years down the line 10 years down the line 20 years down the line a crossover between crypto nfts and sportsbooks to the point where maybe one day we're looking at i'm betting on celtics warriors in the finals even though we can agree if that'll ever happen again um, and you're and you're betting cryptocurrency instead of usd do you see that playing out in the future whatsoever
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, these sort of things exist in the, I guess, unregulated world. And I think over time, the regulation often will catch up. You know, DraftKings is so heavily like licensed and regulated across all our products. I personally have like 20 plus gambling licenses across different states. Um, Jason, Paul, all of us do, you know, so there's all this kind of um, commitment that we've made to do things the right way. And oversight to make sure that we do in fact like do things the right way so we're never going to do anything that's like outside of the i think pretty clear bounds and that's been a lot of the fun and a lot of the effort around launching an nft marketplace and and building games like rainmakers and giving utility through nfts all of this stuff is um you know like to do it the right way in a heavily regulated space you need to um take a little bit more time and be a little bit more deliberate and like fully solve all of the problems that pop up versus if it was kind of like a wild west you know uh like decentral nft drop project with like a discord community and a twitter (laughs) handle and that's kind of it and all the money goes into like some uh crypto you know wallet address that no one really knows so it's like different right and we've taken that on. I don't think there's a lot of companies that have made it farther than we have in terms of like regulated companies building, like blockchain or crypto solutions. Um, And it never goes as fast as you want. But I think over time, like, as there's more gravitation towards things like, you know, adoption of crypto, ability to do things like take payments and whatever take bets in those in those currencies, I think will become a thing. And I don't know when, but I think it'll become like a thing that just, it's a win-win for everyone.
0: Right now you guys are obviously publicly traded company. I follow you on Twitter for your incredible takes on the Celtics. But every time I click in to see what the people are saying, you've definitely got haters as it relates to, you know, where the DK stock price is on that day. So curious, you know, I, I have a million followers on Snapchat. I'm the biggest Lamar Jackson fan in the world. 90% of the replies are negatively filled. How do you deal on a day-to-day basis or holistically with
1: what would be perceived as haters? Um, well, I just have like an absurdly like strong level of conviction about the stuff we're working on. So it doesn't really make me question if we're on the right track all that much. But um, yeah, I have certainly noticed the extremely strong cycles of things in the world between like being very much um like all of the wind is at your sails in the world and nothing could go any better to like nothing you know uh is going according to plan and vice versa for 10 years at DraftKings so (laughs) yes like I've like seen, as has, you know, everyone in the company, I think, seen these things like either super favorable, super unfavorable, like sentiments or whatever. And um, it feels remarkably not at all like that in the company, because we're just sort of doing our job. We have a multi-year, I think, like roadmap that we've put out there, we've communicated. um, And just like building towards that is something that I have like such conviction is right that it doesn't really make you question um just because like short-term things pop up or like a negative tweet or something it just doesn't really like make me question the the direction that we're headed and I think that's where like just having a a clear mission having a clear understanding like what you're doing why you're doing it matters is because you know if you are so easily moved off of something important to you because somebody that you've never met is being like a little difficult in a tweet or something, or like a bad news article, I don't know. I mean, you'd probably be changing what you're doing every two <laughs> seconds.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. All right, well, let's talk about those incredible takes on Twitter because Abe, so for context, I'm a Knicks fan, and Abe's a Sixers fan. So we've got a nice little uh, Boston, New York, Philly thing. A little, going. a
2: little Atlantic Division podcast going on right now. Yeah, there we go.
0: Um, and so obviously the news broke yesterday that the Nets rejected an offer for Jalen Brown three weeks ago, I tweeted that. I thought that the Celtics should trade JB smart and a couple of picks for Kevin Durant and Abe tweeted yesterday, which now is like 60,000 likes on it went hyper viral. Uh, cause one of a uh, Celtic super fan. Yeah, tweeted, I'll,
2: uh, I'll break it down. A Celtic super fan tweeted in all, in all capital letters. I don't want Kevin Durant. And then period, and then a space below that and said, I want Jalen Brown. So I thought that was a little silly, right? Just comparing the two players in a microcosm right there. So I tweeted in all caps, I don't want a Porsche. I want a Honda. Now that's no disrespect to Jalen Brown whatsoever. That's just to me saying, and Jack and I have had this conversation for weeks on end, like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as a duo are fantastic. Who knows? if they can win a championship in the next five years, 10 years, whatever it is, if, if you keep them around. But this is Kevin Durant we're talking about. The guy, yeah, he's old. Yeah, he's injured. He just averaged 30 last year. So I'm curious what your current stance is. Are you with Celtics fans on no matter what, keep Jalen and Jason together? Do you want to go get Durant? What's Where do you draw the line of potential Durant trade? I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, what I was saying, I had a bunch of convos about this with, like, friends of mine. You know, I think it doesn't feel good to see that trade pop up. And I understand why you have to check into it. Like, if you have an opportunity to – if it was, like, JB and um, Derek White and some picks and then you get Durant, like, I understand why the team has to check into that. <laughs> so – um <laughs> Yeah, I think I don't remember the exact stats, but from what I recall, it was something like 30 points per game last season for Durant. Like, I think both are really from like defense standpoint, both are like pretty solid, like, but just brings that it, it, it would be hard to compare, you know, eliteness level between Durant and and JB. I know that there's like a little separation there or maybe like a significant separation there. And so even though I love JB, I understand why the team is like checking into that. Um, Like personally hope it doesn't happen. And like, I would love to just keep the team, you know, like stand pat and just like, see how things go this season. Um, I thought, you know, like the couple moves um, that were like more minor, more subtle, were like enough to make me feel like the team improved and like nothing bad happened. So (laughs) I feel like, cool, nothing bad happened. And, like, let's see if we can build on last year and get it all the way there. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if I would say Honda. Like, my take on JB's <laughs> always been I'd love I to drive a on. Honda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My take is, like, he's elite. I would love to see him be, like, the number one guy on a team. And if he had the opportunity to really be, like, the clear number one, Um, because I think everyone just gives Tatum credit for being the guy in Boston. They've just sort of decided that he's the guy. And the difference between JB and Tatum is, like, it exists for sure, but it's not, like, this crazy, crazy statistical separation or anything. Uh, I think it's just, like, how things normed out in Boston. Tatum gets credit for being the guy. And so I'd love to see if JB, in that role, like, how that would go. And um, so hard to say, but it's it's hard to find like somebody of that caliber as well. I think he's probably like top 20 scorer, totally like number one snub of the all-star game, I thought. Um, yeah, I'm, he's, I'm he's like, happy to have him on the court. He also makes like the most electric plays I feel like of anyone.
0: He's, he's a great player. And I think one of the favorite sayings, at least on Twitter is NBA is a business. You're running a business, you've built a business if it was just a business transaction, you know, Kevin Durant for Jalen Brown straight up, I think a lot of people would say, Kevin Durant's a better player, obviously you gotta evaluate a bunch of these things. But what I've learned in business in my short time is that, yeah, it's just a business, but it's also like there's feelings and there's emotions and there's relationships and if you're gonna create a successful business, I think there's merit to say, like, you gotta care about these people. And so how does Jalen Brown feel about this? Right. He tweeted, shake my head, you know, player and their chemistry and all that. Have you in your business life, like how do you manage it's just business versus personal feelings and, and personal relationships?
1: I don't, it sucks. So <laughs> I don't know. It's not really that great ever. Um, Yeah, I think sports might even be a like a heightened version of that, where there's tens of thousands of fans who care about, you know, the team so much, and they really like put it out there. So the idea of somebody leaving the team always doesn't feel good. They they thread the needle a little bit when it's Aaron Nesmith getting traded; they can kind of get away with it. But not <laughs> when, if you get into the territory of um, even somebody like Marcus Smart, who I know many would say is like being quite overrated at the moment which i don't i don't know like the reason he's so overrated i think is because he brings so much to the like um if you're a fan you really gravitate to him he adds a lot of energy he makes you like feel a certain way for the team that's like more than it would be if he wasn't there and so yeah people are going to be kind of pissed if marcus smart gets traded or, or whatever and same with jb i mean he's like I don't know. People just like get these connections and it's, it's hard. Yes,
0: um, he's homegrown. I, there was a funny, I'm curious about this because are you a, you're a Patriots Red Sox. Are you all
1: Boston? Yeah. I don't really like um, follow aside from the Celtics, I've season tickets to the Celtics and I don't really follow anything else all that closely. Okay. So this I is perfect. Lost, yeah
0: because a lot of boston fans when this conversation came up abe and i saying durant gives you the best chance to win a championship brown gives you best chance to win maybe start a dynasty be relevant for the next five ten years if you keep the the two together and then there's people saying there's value to the homegrown championship which i pointed to yes if you had tom brady and you're a boston sports fan but the c's have won in the past 36 years that one, yeah, Pierce was homegrown, but, like, they brought in Allen and Garnett. Like, if you're a diehard-only Celtics fan, aren't you just rooting? Do you do you think it matters? Obviously, you prefer them to do it homegrown, but do you care at the end of the day how the championship is won?
1: Um, I do, yeah. I actually personally do. I would prefer to not need Durant like to get it done and i think at the same time like i know how tough it like it's going to be extremely tough to win a title to beat um like for example how are we going to beat the bucks next year that's going to be a really tough challenge and uh we like just got we kind of like just scraped by this year with no middleton and whatever um it's tough. So it's so competitive. So many teams are just stacked with like insane talent. It's <laughs> potentially like near impossible to homegrown a winning team like that. But you know, Celtics might be a case where it's close enough where you just like see if you can make it happen for a year or two. I think yeah. the contracts are up in like 24 2024 or something like that uh, for JB. And so I feel like they got like one or two more shots with the core Um, maybe like uh, who's even up right it's um, Grant Williams and Al Horford I think are the only contracts that are really up in the next two years yeah so you get a little opportunity to like see if you can make it happen in a homegrown way and that feels fun to me so I don't know it would be a little disappointing to see the the Durant thing happen as a fan but I also get it. And if it does happen, I'll like fully get behind it. You know? yeah, that is like the most, that
2: is the most, one of the most amazing problems to have in sports is damn my team just acquired Kevin Durant. Yeah, for
1: sure.
2: I feel like that's where Boston, like in general, not just yourself, because you're more of just a Celtics fan, but a lot of Boston shares your same sentiment is like, they want to go get it done um, organically homegrown because to be honest to them, a championship doesn't mean that someone like Jack, who's a Ravens, a Baltimore Do you still have him? No. Championship? Okay. <laughs> Where do I sign? Where do I sign? It doesn't, the whole homegrown thing. Uh, while, while I do understand, because Boston, Got right there, had the homegrown pieces, and they feel like they were so close. Maybe a few plays here and there, uh, they could have done it. But I think a lot of other cities in the entire world will say, "I don't care how it gets done, let's just get a championship."
0: Yeah, we're all, we're yeah. all for winning, it all
1: It's <laughs> Kevin Durant, and like, not. To, I should probably like not be going so elaborate on this just in case the deal actually did happen and i have to like live with that but, <laughs> i feel like there's a very big difference between durant and like garnett Garn- like garnett was somebody you really wanted on the team because he brought like an insane culture to the team and durant is kind of just like taken on this villainous role almost of where he's just kind of like i don't give a shit like you want to say I'm like chasing super teams or doing this or doing that don't care whatever you know, his Twitter feed is kind of like a little adversarial so he almost come across a little bit more like villainous to me whereas Durant was like purely just energy and positive and like culture plus everywhere and so like that's the maybe like thing uh, the little like asterisk on the Durant you know great to have him but like will he do that for the team I don't think so Right, it's like players like Kevin
2: Garnett brought that energy that was kind of his intangible. You see it now with Marcus Smart, and that's why Boston fans really do. They have that's that secret sauce for for Smart and Garnett, where they lack on certain things on the court, they make up for what they bring to the court. And I think that's where you see a crossover in sports and in entrepreneurship is each entrepreneur each entrepreneur has that one secret saw a secret thing that makes them go and makes them succeed. I'm curious for you in your entrepreneurial life, what that one secret ingredient was to make you want to succeed or to just succeed in general. What is one of those backbones that you fall on?
1: Um, probably like two things. One is just being like immersed very much in all of the products and the like um, communities and the culture around like what we're building I think has been something that's really helped figure out if something is going to work or not or like be a good use of time or not or be like interesting product to build or not so i think just like keeping i think as close as possible to right now in every moment in time like what's going on with this like universe this customer that we're trying to like serve and and satisfy and like being really deeply a part of that is very important. Like if you really want to get it, you kind of have to like go under the hood for six months or a year or more and just really like go hard, go deep in. And so yeah, I think it's that like immersion and, and like just constantly trying to deepen understanding of like customer and what's going on in the world right now. Like where's attention going and why. Uh, that's like number one and then the other thing I'd say like at DraftKings in particular is just always being willing to like add to the team or uh, it might be like an investor it might be an advisor it might be like a, a new hire but like if somebody can help you just like get closer to the vision that you have just being a little bit like less worried about maybe like dilution or less worried about giving up some piece of your scope that you like or whatever just get good people in around you that like really care, really can make an impact on what you're working on and just like keep building, you know, keep adding people that are um, going to bring something to the table to help you advance. And I'd say, especially early on with entrepreneurs, probably one of the main things that pop up is like, I don't really wanna like raise too much money and get dilution or I don't wanna like um, hire too many people or or like give up like decision rights over something you know it's like command control keep it small I want to own 100% of whatever you know and I think that's really like limiting so um, I guess that would be my thing is like be willing to give something up to get people around you to really care about what you're doing and like help you realize that vision
0: I love that. I'm I mean I'm going through that right now trying to build out Snap Exports. We just launched an agency to work with digital creators and, you know, giving up a lot of the company that portion of it to bring in a partner I trust is, you know, met the world and I think that's so key. And you mentioned how, you know, getting attention is is much tougher these days we're all spread out over social media we're also all spread out with our brains only want to watch something for two seconds anyways um we we work with digital creators getting sports gaming deals do you think the next generation is really going to buy into this do you think they're the ones who are going to lead or is it the ones who have been gambling on sports for decades
1: um it's so a little bit of both. There's so much nostalgia in sports betting that goes back to because I think what a lot of people don't understand about maybe DraftKings or in general sports betting space is it's probably like slightly older than many people think. A lot of uh, the misconception I've noticed about DraftKings is people think it's like a like mid twenties like. Bros from college only and and that kind of thing, and then they even will extend that to like that must be the people working at the company too. It's like no, the company's super diverse. <laughs> it's like audience that play on Draftkings is probably decently older than you would think, like median mid forties um it's like um kind of hits the whole spectrum right all the way up to like advanced ages of life people are still sports betting predicting things whatever and this idea of like the old vegas sports betting retail over the counter where you're betting ag- like uh, against whatever you want to call it like south point to try to like find an edge against uh <laughs> jimmy vaccaro like that's a thing right that a lot of people feel positivity towards it's like that Robert De Niro movie casino too, where he's like got the glasses and he's picking the games at the end and stuff. So there's, there's like a real thing there that I think is not to be like dismissed. And there's a whole like honor code in and of itself within that world. I feel like on the um, like, if you're like a sharper advantage, better or something like there's a whole honor code around that of like how it should work or what's okay and what's not. And then I think like, younger generations don't necessarily have the same sense of like nostalgia for those same things or they might have a different framework that they apply different things that they're looking for and so you know as time goes on I think that will become maybe like an evolution but right now it's still like very very strong I think that that sense of like what sports betting was 5, 10, 20 years ago in the U.S. Um, and that's like a lot of people's understanding of the space so it's important I think to like connect with that like way of thinking
0: are you guys in any stadiums or arenas right now obviously mobily but like do you have any presences that are important
1: so the first examples of that we do have retail books and casinos the first example of like a stadium will be at wrigley field we're launching um, and that is like a construction project if you go to wrigley right now you'll see the drafting being it, yeah. built like alongside <laughs> yeah, the stadium yeah. and so that'll be our first in stadium and then I guess not exactly the same but at uh, TPC Scottsdale in Arizona we're doing a very large project as well and that'll be right at the course um, it's like the waste management open where that that uh, tournament takes place in Scottsdale that's the location and that'll be tremendous as well it'll be uh, I think really, really like two special locations that stand out in terms of what DraftKings has done retail wise. Um, But we have some pretty good casino properties right now, like Foxwoods, I would say in Connecticut, for example, is like a tremendous property. And we've invested in a handful of those sort of casino build outs.
0: That's amazing. All right, well, last question for you. We have in the notes here that on day one, you made $40, was that of DraftKings DFS? What that was deep. DF- so tell us about, uh, you know, now founding a company that's worth 5 billion plus dollars, but day one, it was just $40. Yeah.
1: $40 probably where it would have stayed if we didn't build our team to be so amazing. Cause you know, when we were like six people, <laughs> you're only doing so much and it was, you know, um, I remember, like, just to give you an idea for that, John Aguiar was, like, one of the first 10 employees at DraftKings, and he was a professional poker player. And I remember, like, almost a year in sitting with him, and he's like, all of your contests suck. Like, this makes no sense. Totally just, like, spreadsheet, wrote out all the con- – you know. So we were just, like, way off for, for a minute on, like, how to think about the space. But our first – um Yeah, our first day we made $40. We were very, like, free roll-centric. So we had a $100 free roll, and then we had, like, uh, head-to-head games and stuff. So a couple of people, like, on the first day that played the free roll deposited and played these head-to-head games. And, yeah, it was funny. Paul, my partner, said that his parents were, like, very upset with him because he quit his job and worked on DraftKings for a year. And they're like, what's the point? You made $40 on your first day. <laughs> and he's like hey, you quit your corporate job for that. And you know, here we are, I guess, ten years later and things have like gone our way enough where it looks like a good decision now. So Hey,
2: profit's profit.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I'm sure you have many more stories. Uh, where can people find you to hear either your Celtics takes or some of these great tips?
1: Yeah, there's no good takes there, but there's a lot of like random <laughs> shit posting or other like things. you on the on right Twitter, podcast then. at Matt Kalish <laughs> on Twitter, and then you know I don't do like a ton of podcasting, but my most regular one is Props and Drops with Gary that I do. It's like every week or two with him, and uh, aside from that, just from time to time, little things like this. So, um. Yep. I guess the other thing I would say is now with kind of Rainmakers really getting more prominent, I've been spending more time probably than ever on Discord doing, you know, on DraftKings Marketplace Discord, we have a like Rainmakers channel that's growing quite a bit. Um, Might even get like unruly when the season starts and we'll have to like figure (laughs) out how to scale it. So anyway, like that's another place I've been spending more time doing like AMAs and other things. So those are probably the best ways to... Check in with what's going on. Awesome. Amazing. Right,
0: well, if you guys can go to that Discord, you'll have a chance to talk to Matt yourselves. We really enjoyed having you today. Congrats on all the success. Good luck with the Celtics and I guess with DraftKings too. But appreciate the time, Matt.
1: All right, guys. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Yeah,
2: Matt. Thanks. Appreciate it.